Let's turn in God's Word this morning, first of all, to Psalm 99, and then from there we'll go to Proverbs 23. Psalm 99, the Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and He is high above all the people. Let them praise Thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. The King's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name, they called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Thou answerest them, O Lord our God, Thou wast a God that forgavest them, though Thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. Exult the Lord our God, and worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. And we turn to Proverbs chapter 23. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is put before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Eat eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up, and lose thy sweet words. Speak not in the ears of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. Remove not the old landmark, and enter not into the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is mighty, he shall plead their cause with thee. Apply thine heart unto instruction, and thine ears to the words of knowledge. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. Yea, my reins shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things." Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. 
For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Buy the truth, and sell it not, also wisdom, and instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways, for a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth in wait as for a prey, and increaseth the transgressors among men. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last, it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. And thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Thus far we read God's holy and an errant word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. It's on the basis of these passages of scripture, many others as well, that we find the instruction of the Hedeberg Catechism, Lord's Day 39. Question 104, what doth God require in the fifth commandment? That I show all honor, love, and fidelity to my father and mother and all in authority over me, and submit myself to their good instruction and correction with due obedience, and also patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities since it pleases God to govern us by their hand. (coughs) Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the fifth commandment is oftentimes called a transitionary commandment. Transitionary commandment because it takes us from the first table of the law, 
unto the second table of the law. The first table of the law consisting of commandments 1 through 4. And then the second table of the law consisting of commandments 5 through 10. The first table of the law has this focus on it. What is your relationship with the Almighty God? Do you worship Him as God and God alone? Do you worship Him in the correct way? Not by the use of images, but in spirit and in truth. Do you worship Him at the appropriate time when He calls you to worship Him on the Sabbath day? The first table of the law, the focus is on the believer's relationship with Jehovah God. In the second table of the law, Commandments 5 through 10, the emphasis is on your relationship with the neighbor. Don't steal from your neighbor. Do not commit adultery with your neighbor. Do not murder your neighbor. But in between this first table of the law, your relationship with God, and the second table of the law, your relationship with the neighbor, is this transitionary commandment. Transitionary, it is called because this fifth commandment speaks to both your relationship with the neighbor as well as your relationship with Jehovah God. Certainly, you can understand that this relationship speaks of what you owe to the neighbor. Honor Father and mother. There's a certain duty that every child has unto the parents that God has given unto them. The Catechism explains that, that we are to show all honor, love, and fidelity to father and mother. But this fifth commandment is not just about what you owe to mom and dad. It's not just about what you owe to all who are in authority over you, the elders, the employer, the government. It's not just about your relationship to the neighbor But this is also about, indeed may we say, this is especially about what is your relationship to the living God? Do you show all honor, love, and fidelity to the living God? God, do you recognize that Jehovah is the sovereign source of all authority? And that authority includes the home that Jesus rules over. My home. And I will submit to Jesus as the King over my home. Jehovah's rule 
of the home. We use that as our theme this morning. First, we'll see the perfect authority that God, through Jesus Christ, has. Second, we'll see that God is pleased to work through imperfect parents. And then third, we'll see what is the duty of those who are under the parents, namely that they show God-honoring reverence. Jehovah's rule of the home, perfect authority, imperfect parents, God-honoring reverence. There is a question that must be faced at the outset of understanding this fifth commandment. And that question that, that must be faced at the outset is, what is authority? The fifth commandment assumes that there is authority. If we are to show honor unto father and mother, then that assumes that father and mother are over the children who are within that home. But then the question is, well, what is this authority that father and mother have over the children within their home? The church is presently battling against a wrong notion of what authority is. This battle that the church is engaged in against the wrong understanding of authority is a battle against the world's instruction and conception of what authority consists of. Always, there is this ongoing battle between what God teaches in His Word and what the church of Jesus Christ stands for and what the world is teaching. And this is becoming more and more pronounced the closer we come to the return of Jesus Christ, that there is a wrong teaching that the world has with regard to authority. And the world, especially through the devil, is doing everything that it can to try to make inroads into the church and corrupt the thinking of the members of the church of Jesus Christ so that the church takes the world's position and understanding of authority. And this is a serious difference between what the Bible teaches about authority and what the world teaches about authority. There will be serious consequences for the church, for the home, for the school if the church imbibes, takes in this world's notion of what authority consists of. So what is the world's notion of authority against which the church must battle? The world's idea of authority is this. Authority rests in man. 
man is the one who has authority. And then, according to the teaching of the world, man may give that authority to someone else. I will give unto you the right to rule over me. I permit you to exercise this authority over me. I do not give you everlastingly, forevermore, the right to rule over me, but for a while, I'll set a timeline here for how long you can rule over me. For this period of time, I relinquish authority and I give unto you the right to rule over me. Usually, this authority is relinquished to someone who is stronger or who is mightier than myself as an individual. Again, according to the teaching of the world. According to the world's idea of authority, you relinquish your authority to somebody who has greater might than you. So it could be that somebody is, has greater understanding than you. Somebody is wiser than you. And so, because this individual has a wiser understanding of what should be done, I will relinquish my authority to this individual because I recognize he has greater abilities than me. Or it could be, according to the world's idea of authority, that this individual has greater power than me. He has greater physical strength than me. And so because I cannot stand up against this strength that this individual has, I will relinquish for the time being my authority unto you and I will permit you to rule over me so long as you're stronger than me. But as soon as I get more power, then I'll rule over you. That's the world's understanding of authority. Authority rests in the man. I will give to somebody else the right to rule over me. You may rule over me only insofar as you are greater than me. As long as you are wiser than me, as long as you are stronger than me, I'll submit. Can you see what the consequences of that are for the Christian home and the Christian church? Imagine children saying to their father or to their mother, I will submit to you only insofar as you are greater than me. Only insofar as you are smarter than me, you are wiser than me, you are stronger than me, you can physically exert your will over me, I will submit to you. But there are limitations to my submission to you. I'm only going to submit to you for a certain period of time. And as soon as I become more powerful than you, as soon as I become smarter than you, as almost every teenager and young adult thinks that they are smarter than mom and dad, 
as soon as I become physically more powerful than you and you can no longer impose your will upon me, then I'm done submitting to you. Can you see, beloved, what are the serious implications of adopting the world's thinking about what authority is. If authority rests in man and man relinquishes that authority to someone else for a time or a season, then the Christian home is destroyed. There is no authority in that Christian home, apart from the children willingly giving it unto mother and father. So what is authority? If authority does not rest in man, if authority is not me relinquishing unto somebody else the right to rule over me for a while, as long as you are greater than me, but I can withdraw that at any time that I become greater than you, then what is authority? Authority must be understood, beloved, in a spiritual sense. Authority is spiritual power that God Himself gives to individuals. And as God gives that power to certain individuals, God puts that person in office. And God gives unto that person in office the God-given right to rule over the people who are underneath of that office bearer. That is the biblical teaching of what authority is. The starting point here in our understanding of authority must not be how Western democracy has shaped our understanding of authority, but our understanding of authority must be shaped by the Word of God. And the Scriptures teach unto us that authority has its starting place in God and in God alone. Psalm 99, verse 1. The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and He is high above all the people. Where is authority? From whence does authority come? Authority comes from God. And we mustn't imagine that God is the highest of many other different people who have power. It's not as if this individual has power and that individual has power, but thankfully God has at least a little bit more power than all the rest of those people. No, that's not the idea here of God being the God of power and authority. But rather it's this, beloved, all power is God's. There is no power except that power come from God. 
God might be pleased to give an individual a certain measure of power. But God is the one who gave unto that individual all the power. God is the one then who exercises perfect authority. Perfect in the sense that it's a complete authority. There is no sphere on this earth over which God does not reign as the sovereign king. He sits in the heavens. Let the people on earth tremble before the almighty authority of God. Perfect authority that Jehovah God has in this sense also because it's upright. It's pure. His authority is according to justice and according to holiness. He does not abuse that authority that he has. He does not hurt the people who are underneath of his authority, but he exercises that authority perfectly. Psalm 99, verse 4. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Do we have the humility not only to admit, but to confess and to love that truth that all Authority is in God. And who are we to object? Does the clay have power over the potter? Does the creature have the right to object to the Creator? God is God. And we are His people. God bestows power upon certain people and God does so through Jesus Christ. God's rule over the home, over the church, over the nations of the earth is not a direct rule, but God's rule is a mediated rule. God rules through His mediator, through the mediator, Jesus Christ. God has all authority and power, and His Son Jesus Christ sits at God's right hand. To Jesus, God has given the honor and the responsibility of ruling over all things upon this earth. Who is Jesus? He is salvation. He is the one who came into this world, who condescended even to the depths of hell, who suffered 
to make satisfaction for the sins of God's own children. The Father, being pleased with the finished work of His Son, Jesus Christ, has now exalted Jesus Christ to God's right hand and has given unto Him all authority over this earth. This means then that the rule that God has over us through Jesus Christ is not the rule of a detached, careless, emperor, king, sovereign one. The rule that God has over the home is not the rule of someone who cares not one whit about what goes on in that home. But the rule that God has over the home through Jesus Christ is the rule of one who so loves the Christian home and the Christian church that Jesus Christ Himself gave up His life at Calvary so that He now can be exalted as the mediator who rules over that whole. That's the authority that God has over the Christian home. A sovereign authority that is exercised lovingly through Jesus Christ, His Son. And now God is pleased in His infinite wisdom to use imperfect parents to be the ones through whom Jesus Christ teaches and raises the next generation. Parents who are parents for our own confession we're weak and we're sinful. And the Catechism acknowledges that reality that we are imperfect. In the second half of answer 104, it's the duty of the children also patiently to bear with their, that is, parents' weaknesses and infirmities. Weak and filled with infirmities is what we who are parents are by nature. We experience this daily. Our weaknesses of the body, it's exhausting and demanding, making the many sacrifices that are required for rearing up children. The body grows fatigued. There are weaknesses and limitations of the mind. Parents forget things. Parents overlook things that they should have remembered with regard to the care of their children. But then there are not only these physical weaknesses of the mind and of the body, but the Catechism also calls attention to our spiritual weaknesses. It uses the word infirmities as the sins that we as parents have to struggle against as we rear up children. 
And sometimes it feels like our, our sinful nature stands in the way of us being effective parents over our children. How prone we are to become short with them, impatient with our children. How easily angered we can be with them and in a moment of frustration, snap at them. Sins, weaknesses, and infirmities. And this is nothing new that parents struggle with. Sins and weaknesses in rearing up children. The Bible has many examples of parents who through much weakness raised their children. Think of Jacob. Twelve sons guilty of favoritism. He favored Joseph above the rest of the children. The result of that was there was envying and jealousy that happened in this covenant family. This is the family that God is going to make a great nation out of. And in this covenant family, there was so much jealousy and envy that the brothers were willing to concoct a plan first to throw their brother in a pit and then to sell him off as a slave. Favoritism in the covenant family. Think of Eli, the priest, who failed to use the rod on his sons, who was willing to overlook all of the faults, or at least many of the faults and blemishes of his sons, so that his sons grew up without discipline in their life. Think of David, who had an inordinate affection for his son Absalom. Even though Absalom was raising himself up against the Lord's anointed king, and even though Absalom was trying to take over the throne and would have ended his father's life, yet David persisted in having this inordinate affection for Absalom and what? For days on end, when Absalom was dead, after he was dead, until at last David had to be rebuked and told, you are being a disgrace to the nation of Israel. The Bible is replete with examples of parents who were weak. But here's the wisdom of God. God uses. Weak and sinful means so that His grace can become all the more evident to His children. God is the one who takes the man and the woman and God puts the man and the woman into special office. It's not simply the physical act of procreating, of bringing forth a child that puts a man or a woman into office. But rather, beloved, it is God Himself who takes that man. And that man, as he becomes a father, God takes that man and God puts that man into the office of Father. 
And God takes that woman as she begets a child. And God takes that woman and God in His wisdom places that woman into the office of mother. God has called father and mother unto this work. And God is the one who then by His Holy Spirit equips father and mother for that work of rearing up the children that God has given unto them. Unto father and mother, God gives unto them authority. And the authority that father and mother have is not authority as the world teaches about authority. The authority that father and mother have is not simply because father and mother are mightier than the children. The authority that father and mother have is not because father and mother are wiser than the children. Not because they have more intellectual understanding than the children. Not because they have greater physical strength than the children and can physically exert their will over the children. That is not the reason that father and mother have authority over the children. It could be that father and mother are helpless. That they experience go through some great injury and are dependent on their children for physical care. Yet, those parents retain authority. Why? Because God gives it to them. Authority is not me being stronger than others But authority is the spiritual power that comes from God Himself. Parents, then, don't need to try to prove to children that they're the authority figures in the house. Parents, then, don't need to feel insecure if at times the weakness of the parents comes to the foreground and even is evident unto the child, the devil uses that to work in the parent's heart to think you're not able to be a good parent. You're too weak. You're not proving your might over the children within the home. No, beloved, we as parents don't need to prove to our children that we're greater than them or stronger or wiser than them. God has put us as parents in a place where we have authority from God through Jesus Christ to rule over the children that God has given us. but recognizing that we are but imperfect parents. We seek guidance, do we not? We seek the Lord to teach us and to show us how to be faithful in the position that God has called us unto. 
And the catechism helps guide us here in how we as imperfect parents are to teach and rear up our children. The catechism says in the middle of the answer that children are to submit themselves to their parents' good instruction and correction. Instruction and correction. That's what we as parents understand to be our primary duty unto our children. Instruct them and correct them. And notice the order. Instruct and correct. Not correct, first of all, and then instruct. That's what the detached ruler does. He imposes laws and rules upon them and corrects them if they don't follow it and then maybe later on gives instruction about why that rule was there in the first place. No, first we instruct, we teach our children. And then should they fail to follow that good instruction, then there is correction. Teach. Proverbs 23 has many verses that speak about the importance of both giving instruction from the parents and on the other hand, receiving instruction as the ch- from, from the children's perspective. Notice Proverbs 23, verse 12. To the children, apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. Jump down a ways. Proverbs 23, verse 19. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Verses 22 and 23. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Teach. Teach what? Teach the child the fear and knowledge of Jehovah God. May our whole lives as parents be one continual and ongoing lesson about what is the fear and knowledge of Jehovah God. Certainly that means that as parents we give them formal instruction. And at mealtime, when we have devotions as a family, there is opportunity to give that type of formal instruction unto the children to explain a verse or two from the Word of God and to give the meaning and the application of that verse. Certainly, there is the formal instruction that is given in the covenant school as the teachers stand in the place of the parents and instruct the children in the fear and knowledge of Jehovah God. But let us never limit the instruction that we as parents give to our children simply to the formal instruction that we give unto them. But rather, may we instruct the children also and perhaps even especially in this way, through our example. 
So that as the children watch mom and dad, and as the children see how mom and dad interact one with another with patience and with gentleness, as the children hear mom and dad speak of the school, of the church, of the teachers, of the minister, the children learn by example how to love and show honor and fidelity to all who are in authority. Yes, let there be formal instruction. But if there simply is the formal instruction without the godly and pious example of father and mother, then that formal instruction will fall on deaf ears. Children are smart. And they can figure out very quickly when mom and dad say one thing and do a different thing. Teach formally and by your example. And correct. The catechism calls us as parents. Give correction. Give good instruction and correction. And the wise writer of Proverbs 23 helps us understand that that wise correction means we are to use the rod. Verse 13, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Solomon is not advocating here for the physical abuse of children. Far from it. But he is advocating here for the proper, sanctified, loving use of the rod to the rear end of the child. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. Always the rod is to be used lovingly. That we as parents use the rod lovingly means that our motive in using the rod is not anger, not because we're frustrated and we're going to take out or vent our frustration on the child because I'm so angry that you could even think of doing this. Using the rod lovingly does not mean that we use the rod to embarrass the child. So that means we are very careful about the location even in which we use the rod. The goal is not public humiliation of the, of the child, but we use the rod lovingly. That the rod is used lovingly means also this, that the use of the rod is accompanied with instruction. It's not just applying the rod to the rear end, but it's teaching the child about the seriousness of their sin how they have sinned not only against 
mother and father, but how they have sinned against God. And our God is a holy God. And then to lead them from holiness of God to the mercy of God. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The duty of the children then is to show God-honoring reverence. They do it to their parents. They do it to all who are in authority. And ultimately, they are to show this reverence unto Jehovah God Himself, who is the source of all authority. The Catechism explains what this God-honoring reverence is to look like that I, as a child, show all honor, love, and fidelity to my father and my mother. You see, the fifth commandment is not just about an external code or an external law. It's not just a do this or a do that. And then if you have satisfied that external list of things that mom and dad expect of you, that then you can conclude, okay, now I am a good child or now I am a good member of the church, or now I am a good citizen of this nation. But the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism understood that this fifth commandment has to do with our hearts. What is the attitude of your heart to those who are in authority over you? That I show all honor, love, and fidelity Honor them. Honor them because there is a certain weightiness to the position that God has given unto those in authority over me. There's weight to the words of mother and father. And there is weight to the example, the godly example of father and mother. And so I honor them. I look up to them as those whom God has put in that special office of father and mother. Love them. Show honor, love unto them. And that love will reveal itself in the way that I respond to father and mother. Children, when I love the father and mother, then that means I do not call into question everything that mother and father tell me. I do not constantly respond to father and mother saying, why? Why must I do this? Why must I do that? It means I don't respond to the teacher in school saying, why? Why this homework? Why this assignment? I love those who are in authority over me. And then that I show fidelity, faithfulness to my father and my mother. This means... I trust those who are in authority over me. 
I trust them. Why? To go back to the first point of the sermon, not necessarily because they are wiser than me, they are smarter than me, they are stronger than me, they are more powerful than me. But I trust them because God, through Jesus Christ, put them in office. For Jesus' sake, I show all fidelity to those in authority over me. The child shows this reverence to father and mother not just in their youth, but they are to do this all the days of their lives. Notice what Solomon says in Proverbs 23, verse 22. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. It's striking, is it not, how quickly the perspective of a child toward his or her parents can change over the years. The eight-year-old child would not imagine questioning the love, the care, the protection that father and mother give to that eight-year-old child. But fast forward the clock ten years, a mere 10 years, and suddenly that 18-year-old child thinks that they have everything figured out, that they don't need mom and dad, that they don't need protection, they certainly don't need guidance, much less rules from mom and dad. And all it takes is a space of a few years, and the child changes from being dependent and completely willing to trust mom and dad, to willing to throw the authority of mom and dad off and let me stretch my wings and fly. Despise not thy mother when she is old. Young people and young adults, if you are going through a stage in life where you think that you don't really need the wisdom of mom and dad in your life right now, then likely the exact opposite is true. Now, more than ever, you need the love, the encouragement, the guiding against your sinful impulses from mom and dad more than you have ever needed that before. Despise not thy mother when she is old. In so doing, God's name is revered. Obeying and showing honor unto father and mother is not just about respecting earthly people. It's not just about showing love to the neighbor in my life, but ultimately 
It is about respecting and honoring God. The God who sits enthroned as King of Kings and the God through His crucified, risen, and exalted Son, Jesus Christ, reigns over all things. May we honor Father and Mother for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, how great and how terrible is Thy name. For Thou art the thrice holy God. Thou art the God of all power, all wisdom, and all strength. But Thou art also the God of tender loving care, who came down to this earth through Thy Son Jesus Christ, who knows our frame, and who remembers that we are dust. Thou art the God who has not dealt with us as we deserve to be dealt, but the God who pities us in our lowest state, who forgives us our sins, and who leads us in the paths of righteousness. Pardon, Lord, whatever sins were committed even during this worship service, and hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.